0: Thank you, Joel. Those of you that don't play the trumpet, you'd understand the difficulty in it. It's not just the right fingering, but it's also the embouchure, the force, the technique, and unless one practices. So thank you for practicing, guy. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Last stands, and we before the throne I stand, in him complete. Take your Bibles, please, to the book of Numbers does not sound like a missiological passage. I said that Missions Chapel is done, give or take, once a month, usually on the first of the month. It is our way of the returning students hearing of opportunities to be involved in, but likewise the new students. The Missions branch of the university is referred to as Global Encounters. You'll often see it advertised Sometimes just as GE, it is the branch that organizes some missions trips, uh, participates in others, and so forth. In the years that I've been here, Global Encounters has been involved on two trips to China, two trips to the Philippines, Indonesia, Brazil. Soccer team went to India. Nurses team has gone, is going uh, to Uganda and Panama. Baseball team has gone to Dominican Republic. Uh, Volleyball team has gone to Guam. These are all skill sets in different arenas uh, that we send out uh, our collegians to be a part of those ministries and mostly for the sake of their own benefit to see what God is doing. These last two summers we haven't because of obviously a word that I'm sick and tired of pronouncing, I'm sorry. It just, it is so much of our dialogue, it's become a part of our dictionary. But COVID has gotten in the way the last two summers and though we may have wanted to go and we have wanted to go obviously leaving the country is a difficulty and then entering the country and then leaving that country and getting back into our country so the last two summers we haven't for those of you that are interested in 2022 here are some thoughts that are going on we are we are considering some options in asia there are two opportunities that we haven't developed yet but those opportunities are there but even more so on the front burner we are seriously considering a trip to the dominican republic but not to the place of play ball across the island. Um, it is going to be something that involves a combination of English camp ministry. That doesn't mean you have to be a major in that particular discipline. It will also include youth evangelism ministry and interacting with several local church uh, churches. We're looking for a group of 10, uh, maybe a couple of sponsors, and it will be about uh, 10 days, and most likely in the middle of summer. That involves raising funds, those who have gone on trips, usually it's around $2,500, and it is rare, rare that a student is not able to raise that money. So $2,500 seems like a lot, but it's, it has been rare that a student has not raised the fund. So if you're interested, begin praying about it, and we hope that more will be said about it in the coming days. Numbers 20, verses 1 through 13. If I give you the title of the sermon... And I don't know why a sermon needs a title, but it does. I'm afraid that it would cause us to say, but Dr. Love, duh, don't you get it? We're here. We're in a Bible college because this is a facet of our life. The story revolves around a narrative, a story of a man named Moses supreme leader walk with god interacted with god but there's a failure point that occurs under what I'm going to label the subject or the topic of the message the authority of the word of god and when that ceases to be a reality in our lives in reference to my sermon missions is dead sanctification in reference to you on campus living is dead Knowing God's will for you cannot be found. Because then we are sponsored by our emotions, by our desires, by the need, rather than the authority of God's word. So I ask you, what authorities impact your life? What surrounding elements of power ultimately control your life choices? Now I need to say this. Keep in mind that life choices are not made within unoccupied spaces. Life choices are made with the data that occupies our spaces. And we're going to see that very clearly here. Life choices are not made within a vacuum. Well, I think today I'm going to yield to God. Today I'm going to find my wife. Today I'm going to find my life's calling. They are not, just as the servant of Isaac said, and I be in the way the Lord showed me. So today we're going to look into an account that highlights the reality of the authority of God's word, because that is basic. And as a speaker, I'm intimidated because it's going to take us a while to get there, so that when I make the transition to application, you won't think, where did this come from? So is God's word believable, and thus does it impact our behavior? Is the authority of God's word behind our missional choices? And again, I know that I'm preaching to people who are self-proclaimed believers of God's word. So the issue is not convincing us of the authority of God's word, but confronting us. Numbers chapter 20, verse 1. Then came the children of Israel... Even the whole congregation into the desert of Zen in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh and Miriam died there and was buried there. So it appears, and we'll substantiate this in a bit, that this is at the end of their 40-year ministry in the desert. And there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And I'm sure Moses and Aaron texted each other and said, Here we go again. There's fire in the camp. Somebody has started a rumor, and here we go. And if you can believe this, Aaron, the rumor seems to be that we've brought the people out here to kill them. Can you imagine that? Two people against millions, and we're going to do it. You say, well, that's rather silly that that would be a rumor. Verse 3, And the people showed with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Thank God that's not a valid prayer. And why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness? <laughs> the language structure is so accurate. Now envision Moses grabbing two plus million people and saying, you are going into the wilderness. Most parents can't drag one toddler through a grocery store. Why have ye brought up the congregation of the Lord into the wilderness that we and our cattle should die here? And wherefore have ye made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into unto this evil place? It, is a place? it is no place of seed or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the temple of the tabernacle of the congregation. I cannot imagine their hearts. Oh, God, it is us again. Forty years of this kind of interaction. What do we do? It is beyond any capacity we have. And they fall before God in the glory, verse 6, the last part. The glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, gather the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock. Before their eyes. And it shall give forth his water. Best place to dig a well is in bedrock. Of course, God did know that. It shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation their beast drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. Again, we're talking about the authority of the word of God. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear ye now, ye rebels. And that is true. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? And that was not true. Verse 11. And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice, and the water came out abundantly. Why? Well, because there's water in the bedrock of rock. No. Well, the people were thirsty. No. I must say this several times. Water came out of the rock because God said it would come out of the rock. The authority of God's word. Though Moses even changed the directives a bit. So first of all, by way of outline, if we need to follow one, is the historical account in verses 1 through 7, of which I've read. Most of us are familiar with this historical account. Most of us have heard this in Sunday school. It is a great story, for it shows great power of God. But maybe we have not gained from this, what is the focal point? This passage is not teaching us that water came out of the rock because the people were thirsty. This passage is not teaching us that water came out of the rock because Moses spoke to it and hid it. This passage is not teaching that water came out of the rock because Israel needed another installment of a big miracle day. This passage is not teaching us that water came out of the rock because Moses needed a, a boost in his leadership skills. But that Numbers 20, verse 8 said that God said, and it shall give forth his water. Now, I'm just going to nudge a bit on transition to drop the seed. The basis of missions is not that there are people groups who've never heard of God. The basis of missions is not that it might unify a particular local church or the church of God. The basis of missions is not that the gospel can meet the needs of all cultures. The basis of missions is that the word of God said, go ye into all the world. The historical account in Numbers is filled with the reality of everyday living. People needing food, people needing drink. But it bumps up against the reality of God. In such places like deserts, where people are thirsty, where people have to make a living. And over 300 times in the Bible, we come across such statements as, And the Lord said, or, and God spoke, or thus saith the Lord, or the word of God was revealed. I quote, It is from this word, the Bible, that we know God's promises. It is from this word that we know God's commands. It is from this word that we know God's judgments. It is from this word that we know of God's grace. It is from this word that we know the effects of obedience and disobedience as they're interwoven through narratives. Yes, the heavens declare the glory of God, but not as transparently as the word of God. And yes, the human conscience speaks to the reality of God of good and evil, but not as pointedly as the word of God. Now, I know that we all are agreeing with what I'm saying, but something distracted Moses. And this ultimate leader set aside the authority of the word of God. Briefly, that's the historical account. Let's shift gears into what I would call the historical analogy. That is to say, then, how does it touch a specific person wherein we could apply it? So what we're going to do is reveal that God's word is not just some abstract thing that we read about over 300 times, and God said, and the word of the Lord came. And it's floating out there in space for us to snag it on a good day. And only a few lucky people actually get to do that but rather it comes in contact with us all the time. The everyday realm in this account is that it comes into the arena of several million people. But rather than discussing the tidbits of several million people, the story narrows down to one person to make the point of the lesson. He's named Moses, who thinks he's asked to do a very very difficult thing. I'm not trying to minimize this scenario. All he was asked to do was talk to a rock. Anybody on a good day or a bad day can talk to a rock. It does not take discipleship. It does not take tutoring. It... Some of us have talked to rocks when we stumble over them. Some of us have talked to rocks when they've hit our windshield. You understand? Supreme Leader Moses, Moses, this is about me, God. Moses, this is not about you. All I'm asking is that you talk to the rock. The nation of Israel needed about eight, millions of, 8 million gallons of water per day. That's about a gallon and a half per human per day and 2 gallons per animal per day. Now, don't go Googling it to see if my math is right. Because we're actually going to talk about Googling. And you're leafing through and say, where does that word appear in Numbers 20? Dr. Love, when a sermon makes application, it's to stay within the context. In fact, so much water gushed out that the psalmist wrote this in Psalm 105, verse 41. He got open the rock... And the water gushed out. They, the water, ran in the dry places like a river. So this morning before I came, I actually Googled. And again, this is not a hint for you to do research. I, I tried to find a river that would produce eight, six to eight million gallons of water per day and say, this is like this river. Well, I couldn't find one that came down to those exact numbers. I can assure you that it was bigger than the Rock River. Moses is struggling in this setting. On account of, well, let's insert some thoughts. This account takes place in the 40th year of wandering in the wilderness. 40 years. Please, I gave a great speech to the freshman class of saying, buying into being a freshman. But every year, the faculty has to break in a new freshman class. That means how to understand to read a syllabus and the LMS and all those things, and how to keep track of the course calendar. That's only a couple of weeks. None of you dare stay 40 years. All right? We would end up like Moses hitting everything. So this takes place in the 40th year. Miriam had died the first part of the chapter. A new generation had outlived the old generation that had come out of Egypt. An impact miracle was needed, if I could use that word, in order to get the attention of these millions of newbies who had not seen the crossing of the Red Sea. But it didn't go as planned. The authority of God's word was not acknowledged in application. Verse 7, the Lord spake unto Moses. Why wouldn't we want that to happen on a daily basis? And the directives were simple. Take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. Why? Because God said it. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so shalt thou give the congregation their beast drink. And Moses took the rod, and this was headed in the right direction. But 40 years of distraction came to a head. I can't fault him. What happened to this entire divine project revolving around the authority of God's word of which they desperately needed to see an action of it before they go into the promised land because there would be layers of series of directives from God on where to, where to, uh, where to cl- what land to claim and who to claim it and all this. This was a kindergarten lesson that was major. In simple terms, without having to build a case for it, a distraction sets in. The authority of God's word was set aside by a wonderful, obedient God follower because he got distracted, in this case, people. Verse 10. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels. Very accurate. Very true to the point. But the point was not what the people were saying. The point was what God was saying. I know that sounds elementary. But it brought a detour into a person's life that you would think would not. Again, I think we all get it. Moses was leading several million people through a hot desert who daily needed the emotional pacifiers and diaper changing. And it finally got to him. His focus transitioned from God said it, part of life, to the people were saying it, part of life. Here's Moses, who missed his calling for life because he was distracted from the authority of God's word. What would you consider to be one of the great distractions of our era? Something that takes one away from the focus of what God is and has and is saying? What I'm going to say will most likely be given by you an initial pushback because there's a generational separation between you and me. I'm reading through a book written by Brett McCracken. It's called The Wisdom Pyramid. The subtitle is... Feeding your soul in a post truth world. Good title. The premise of the book is that we are so filled with the onslaught of daily informational sound bites that the food pyramid for our soul has left us no appetite for sustained communication from God, the authority of God's word, impacting our lives on account that our souls are already too full with data. I quote the world was more the world has more and more information but less and less wisdom more data less clarity more stimulation less synthesis more distractions less stillness more pontificating less pondering more opinions less research more speaking less listening more to look at, less to see. More amusements, less joy. I paraphrase. What has happened is that everyone is being given an electronic megaphone, but few of us are filtering it because we see it to be information. But what we overlook is that the abundance of information has fattened our souls while our spirits are famished. And we equate the both, both to be the same. We are so bombarded with phone pings of life, the latest picture that has been sent our way, of someone that we really don't recognize, may never see again, the newest trend that someone saw, or the more recent world tragedy that our hearts can no longer practice, the biblical prescription of be still and know that I am God. To our generation today, sustained silence is uncomfortable. We fidget for the device. We are so awkward with two people on a sidewalk. Just two. To even say hi. Because it might involve me with another human being. Well, I can be involved with thousands of human beings. This pyramid. I'm assuming everybody knows this food pyramid thing. At the bottom, fruits and vegetables. In the middle, I don't know what it is. I think it's pizza. And then up at the top. (laughs) The information age, catch this if you can, I'll be deliberate, intentional. The information age has conditioned us to eat informational data too fast, to eat much informational data, and to eat only the informational data that we like. And we have conditioned... And we become conditioned to do the same with the Word of God. Last night, that would be Sunday night, I, uh, I kissed my wife goodnight. I uh, lay down in bed. I, I prayed audibly. I then prayed quietly for things that I do in the evenings. My phone was face side down. It was probably 10.30. And I was ready for bed. And the phone pinged. You say, did you go to sleep? None of us can. Because it may be the president. Recently, I've been waiting for a phone call from an insurance adjuster for a claim. What if it was him at 1030 on a Sunday night? (laughs) It could have been. You don't know. So I flipped it over, and sure enough, there was a message there. AT&T had contacted me that they had billed me. My carrier is not (laughs) AT&T. But all the setting to go to sleep was now gone. Because of a ping. Is it possible that the real issue is not that God is calling fewer people to career ministries, but that we are listening to too many other options? The electronic ping of life has taken us to places where we will never see to face tensions we cannot solve to exhaust our souls of any solace it should find in God. We've allowed too many people access to our lives. People who will never show up to our funeral. Who get in the way of the only person who will matter after our funeral. So for us, it's not 2 million people demanding to be heard, as in the case of Moses, but rather electronic pings after electronic pings, demanding that we scroll and find out what is so important. I am not an authority on this, but I've pastored long enough to look back. I am confident that in this message, something was said that is very pungent that God put in my mind. I'm not trying to say that everything I say is from God. But so worded and so providentially, you being prepared for God that you could have latched onto this, but you were scrolling. Because the phone vibrated. People whined, and Moses missed his life's calling. He said, well, that's life. It didn't have to be that way. Life for Moses did not have to turn out that way. But he allowed distractions to undermine what he had believed all of his life, the authority of the word of God. And at that moment when it meant so much, it didn't. Now to make sure that we are not fishing, Numbers chapter 20, verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because ye believe me not. This was a very important thing, to sanctify me in the eyes of of this generation. So this is going to be called the location of Meribah. Because the children of Israel strove with God. You say, well, Dr. Love, I've listened. I think your transition makes some sense, but I don't believe there's biblical support for it. In closing, turn with me, please, to our third point, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Our alarm rings probably earlier than yours, but not earliest of anybody here, five o'clock every day except Saturday, but because we are in this mature age group, we still get up early on Saturday. And I don't know how many decades this has been a practice. My wife and I have been married for 48 years. But I know it goes way further back than I remember. And this is not a lesson on marriage. It's a lesson on relationship with God. If you're different, that's fine. When we get up in the morning... We don't greet each other. You say, well, why wouldn't you? We have not brushed our teeth. Our eye sockets are all swollen. We look the worst that we'll ever look. I mean, we'll look better in a casket than we do any morning. And we don't. We just don't. We don't greet each other. I go to my chair. My wife goes back to the bedroom. And we are there in separate places for a long time while we do what's called Bible time. Because it's so easy to get distracted. Chapter 10 of First Corinthians, verse 1. More of a brethren. I would not that she should be ignorant. So he's speaking to people who needed to know something, but it appears there was an intentionality in not knowing it. How that all our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all did eat, and all, and all, and all. Verse 4, and all did drink the same, that spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were examples to the intent that we who are ignorant, we should not lust after the evil things that they, should lust, that they also lusted after. And the next three categories of sins are the dominant sins that distract believers from sanctifying their lives and worshiping God. It's just hitting the rock. It's just the word of God. It's no big deal. But then Moses is taken up by God into the mount. And he's made to look and he gives a glorious description of the promised land. But I cannot help but think of this man thought of when he stood there. And though he accepted it, Humbly, what God had done to his life, he acknowledged great disregard for the authority of the Word of God. I can't imagine him saying, wow, just one bad day where I set aside the authority of God and the big event of life in which God had equipped me and trained me for 40 years here and 40 years here and 40 years. And and I'm going to miss it. So when we started out this morning, I say this in closing, we probably said, well, Dr. Love is going to preach on the authority of the word of God. I've got that covered. So did Moses. But he let something distract him. I can understand it. It was part of his everyday culture. I can feel his pain. I know what it's like to have Bible time in an electronic device where homework is flashing that it needs to be done. Emails are written with exclamation points. And the voices are so much louder than the still, small voice of God. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would have allowed our hearts to be ministered that there would be a humble, receptive spirit to this so very basic, germane subject matter for your will for our lives in reference to today for missions. Help us to regroup in how we accept your authority. We ask this in your name. Amen.